I do the morning transportation for my two daughters. I take one daughter to Rosenwald Dunbar Elementary School. I take another daughter to West Jessamine High School. I do this every single morning. And in the last few years, they have changed the traffic flow at the high school. Now, never mind the fact that all of the schools in our county, except one, are on the same road, a two-lane road. Yes, the school times are staggered in terms of when they start, but it's still a two-lane road, okay? So the change they made at the high school is this. In the past, the buses went to the back of the school and the parents dropped off at the front of the school. In the past, in the past, the buses had to wait for the parents to get in and out. Now it's flipped. See, now as a parent, I get to go along and I wait for the buses to come out of the middle school. Then I wait for the buses to pull into the high school. Then I wait to get into the back of the high school. Then I get all the way around the back of the high school. Then I wait for all the buses to get out again. It's a great change. You can ask Jillian what some of these mornings are like. She'll tell you straight up. I sometimes go full Pentecostal, and I'll lecture her on democracy, representative government, um, good use of taxpayer dollars, and I will say something to the effect of, Jill, see that bus right there? I paid for the gas in that bus. In fact, I am paying the salary of the person driving the bus. I pay for the maintenance on the bus. You know what? I bought the bus. It's my bus, and you know what? That bus is keeping me from going to work that's earning the money that's paying for everything. <laughs> Hashtag irony. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Where does Uncle Sam get his money? Yeah, let me ask it again. Where does Uncle Sam get his money? Me. You, that's right. Here's Uncle Sam. I want your money. It's called taxes. That's where Uncle Sam gets all of his money. He didn't go out and earn it. He's not mowing lawns. He took it from you and me. Now, in 2015, here's how that shakes out or shook out. 46% he got from income taxes. Another 32% he got, he calls it Medicare, Social Security. He calls it all these fancy names. Really, it's a payroll tax. So if you get paid money... Um, you know, Uncle Sam takes part of it. Corporate income taxes. I don't know what's in miscellaneous. I, I'm kind of curious. And then excise taxes, custom duties. Duties are another, duty is another word for tax, okay? So all of, all of those things are taxes. If you're a teenager and you get a job, let's say I pay you $10, all right? And I give you $10, that's so awesome. I come immediately and I go, wait, I need three of those. And so now you have seven, and I go, oh, wait, I've got Uncle Vinny. He's your county government, and he gets one, too. And so now, out of the $10 that you worked hard to get, you only get to keep six. More than one teenager who's gotten their first job and gotten their first paycheck has opened it up in horror and said, I've been robbed, right? Okay, yes, that's taxes. So is, does, and here's where Uncle Sam spent it last year, in case you're wondering. So here's in multicolor. 
So it pays a lot in healthcare and stuff and military stuff. And it does spend money on science, in case you were wondering, okay? And there is money for transportation, 2.6%. Hopefully, we'll be able to cross those bridges, all right, when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> does the money that Uncle Sam really belong to him? No. 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 Who's the money really belong to? You, the people, the American people, on a rare occasion, a government official will acknowledge this. They will, they will use this phrase in a statement. We just don't feel it's a good use of taxpayer dollars. Taxpayer dollars is a code word for not our money. <laughs> not our money. Your money. Let me ask you a question. What if every congressman, every senator, every bureaucrat, Every U.S. president understood that the money that Uncle Sam has doesn't really belong to him, but belongs to the American people. What if every single one of them just owned the fact that they were managers? Whoa. Oh. We'd all like float up into heaven. It would be, it would be nirvana for if you're in another religion, right? So, I mean, it would be all this stuff. We would be so happy. It would be a game changer. Uncle Sam would not be spending $100 for a hammer that he can go to Lowe's and buy for $2.98. Uncle Sam would, uh, these are real examples. Uncle Sam would not spend $900,000 to ship two 19-cent washers from South Carolina to Texas. Again, not made up for real. He wouldn't do that. Why? Because it's not his money. Uncle Sam would actually have a plan. In the world of finances, we call that plan a budget. The last U.S. federal budget that passed Congress was April 29, 2009. President Obama refused to sign it. The last U.S. federal budget signed into law by a U.S. president was signed by this president right here in 1997. Again, I wish I could take a camera picture of the look on your faces. You remember him. He feels your pain, right? That's the last time. It's been almost 20 years since our government has had an actual budget. This is what our very own Senator Mitch McConnell says. Don't tell him I quoted him church. I'm having lunch with him later this month at a big luncheon, and it'll go to his head. The whole, I can't even channel him, so I can't imitate him well, but he's got this kind of voice. Okay, the whole appropriations process has not functioned like it should in 20 years under majorities of both parties. Kind of, he's always has a kind of curmudgeon thing to him. <laughs> Don't tell him that either. Okay, so, but I hate to admit it, but he's right. <laughs> he's right. Boy, that's the truth, Mitch. And if I, could, if I could tell Mitch something, you know what I want to tell him? Hey, Mitch, that's my money. That's our money. Some of us in this room would probably say, and can I have some of it back, please? <laughs> right? As we wrap up this series on money, I want to remind you that what's true of Uncle Sam is true of you. Uncle Sam is only managing someone else's money. That's also true of you. You may not realize this, but according to the Bible, you are a manager. Here's what it says in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. I highlighted it for you. Everything in the heavens and on earth is 
yours. Let's back the truck up and go over that again. Everything, that means everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who's over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand and at your discretion. People are made great and given strength, again, at your discretion. You are a manager. I'm a manager. So whatever money and stuff that we have in our hands is just temporary. And God owns everything, not just church buildings and national parks and waterfalls and rainbows, but God owns the U.S. Capitol building. God owns your house. God owns my kayak. He owns it all. Okay? And that's a very important concept. Now, you might be like, well, that's like Old Testament, and they had kings and battles and stuff. I totally get you on that. So I want to teach a passage that I teach on fairly regularly because this is a very important concept. This is a very important concept to get. Jesus, wouldn't we all agree, Jesus wears a white hat. He's a good guy. We all like him. He's awesome. Jesus is awesome. People say that all the time. They put stickers of him on their car. Like Everybody seems to like Jesus. So if Jesus is the guy in the white hat... And he's, you know, this amazing, per what did he have to say about stewardship? Well, he actually said something fairly significant. And if you brought a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Luke. Luke is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 16. And we're going to be in the first 13 verses. Okay, so Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Again, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. There's the word. I highlighted it. Manager. In the Greek, it's oikonomos, which is two words. Oikos, meaning household. Namos, meaning manager. It's where we get the word economy from. Oikonomics. Economy. You're like, oh, light bulb. Okay, I know some of you didn't have Greek in school. Okay, so manager is this word, oikonomos. A manager doesn't own what he's managing. It belongs to someone else. So this rich guy has a manager, all right? Jesus continues. One day, a report came in that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So let me set this in Nicholasville. In Nicholasville, we have a group of old guys who get together every morning at Hardy's um, on the south end of town. And they have breakfast together and they shoot the breeze and they talk about the glory days back in the 70s and how awesome it was. And they're all old and they all drive old pickup trucks. So imagine one of the rich guys of Jesmond County. He goes into Hardy's for breakfast. He's sitting, going to have breakfast with all his peeps, only he doesn't call them that because that's not a word they would use. So he's sitting there. He's down in his coffee, his gravy and biscuits. And one of them leans in and goes, hey, Billy, I got to tell you something. What do you mean? Well, you know that man, you got the guy managing your horse farm? Yeah, what about him? Look, I was you know, the guys have all been talking. You know, he ponied up a quarter of a million dollars of your money in this scheme. I don't, have you heard what's going on? Like, the guys went out of town. The FBI's looking for him. Like, that money's gone. You know that, right? That manager of yours is not managing your money well. <laughs> okay, so Billy hears this. He's like, what? Okay, he goes on throughout his day. Later in the day, at the, he's getting together with some friends that evening over a nice steak and baked potato, lots of butter, sour cream. Aren't you hungry? And he's enjoying the meal and somebody else. Hey, Billy, 
you know that, uh, you know the manager, you guy managing your horse farm? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been doing things. I, I heard, you know, I heard from the judge executive that they're going to maybe investigate. What? Okay, so this is what's going on. The rich guy goes into town and he's heard reports that his money is being squandered. Let me ask you a question. Is the rich man happy? Is the rich man happy? No. no. He's hacked off. <laughs> so he calls in the guy. That's the next verse. The man, uh, so the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. As only Donald Trump could say, right? You're fired. The guy now knows the gig's up. The boss man has heard things and has figured things out. I is in trouble. <laughs> so, what does the guy do? Verse, uh, verse 3. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. So, uh, Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Okay, so he's got a day to figure out what he's going to do, and he develops a plan. Now, the disciples that are hearing this story, probably as Jesus started telling it, the, the word used to describe this uh, manager is the same word used to describe the prodigal son. It's somebody who's brought dishonor to himself and to other people around him. So the disciples are thinking, oh, he's going to get it. This is one of the getcha, you know, parable stories. Can't wait to see what happens to him. So he develops this, let's call it what it is, a scheme, a plan to couch surf when he's thrown out and tossed out on his ear, right? Well, I know what I, I, you know, I'll have some people that'll be glad to have me sleep on their couch for a while till I figure out what I'm going to do next. So it picks up in verses five through seven. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Oh, the manager told him, take the bill, quickly change it to 400 gallons. What? Yes. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, came the reply. Here, said the manager, take the bill and exchange it for 800 hundred bushels. This is shrewd stuff going on. In the first one, 800 gallons to 400 gallons, he's taking the equivalent of a three-year debt and making it a year and a half debt. If you were the guy who just had your bill cut in half, would you be happy? Yes, yes this guy is awesome. I can't believe this rich guy has this amazing manager. I mean, this is great. I love this guy. And it, on it goes. A thousand bushels, that's a lot of money in the first century. And so, again, the disciples are thinking, oh, when's the zinger going to come? He's going to get it. The, the other shoe's going to drop. And that's when we p uh, pick it up in verse 8. The rich man, Jesus said, had to, had to, what was the word there? Admire. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them 
than are the children of the light. Now, is Jesus commending being dishonest? No. He's commending the guy for having a plan, for thinking about his future. And he's saying, look, rich people think about their future all the time. But believers, God's people, rarely think about their future and setting up their future, their future life with God, their future eternity. Boy, they could be equally shrewd as rich people are about money that's not going to last. So Jesus develops this in the next several verses, and he tells us straight up, verse 9, here's the lesson in case, right? I, love, I wish he did this for every single parable. I don't know about you, but I read some of the parables and I'm like, I feel just like the disciples. What? Hey, boss, no, back the truck up. What, now, when you, now, who's what? Is, are you talking about the Pharisees? Am I a Pharisee? Like, how does, you know, <laughs> just want some clarity. But he spells it right out. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you into an eternal home. Jesus is telling us to leverage our money and stuff so that when we enter eternity, there are people that we'll run into that'll be like, hey, thank you. You don't know me, but you know that crib that you donated to the you know, women who didn't want to get pregnant or pregnant thing? I needed a crib. I got to thank you so much. You know that time you volunteered you know, down at the habitat? You know, that, was, that was actually that was my house. Okay, you're going to run into people. Um, Back when I was the executive pastor at Church of the Savior, we would spend, I think, $10,000 a year, and we employed a gazillion, I mean a gazillion evangelists in gospel for Asia. I'm convinced that people at Church of the Savior in that time period, you're going to run into people in eternity that are going to come up and go, oh, you're from that church in Kentucky? There was this evangelist that came to my village and showed the Jesus film, and da-da-da-da, and like, I discovered Jesus, thank you, like, this is, Jesus is saying, this kind of stuff is going to play out in the resurrected life. Position yourself for it. Expect it. Plan on it. Okay? So money and stuff is a tool to be used for your eternal future, not unlike the shrewd manager developing a plan for his future. Jesus then goes on, verses 10 and following. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? The other thing that Jesus is telling us about money and stuff is that there's a test part to it. If you read the Bible cover to cover, one of the things that you'll discover about God is that God puts people to the test. He puts the Israelites to the test. Do you trust me? The whole manna thing in the wilderness was God basically, do you trust me? Do you trust me to provide what you need? Come on, I want, do you trust me? And so God puts us to the, he wants to know, do we really trust him? And so there's a test part of this. If you have kids, you know how this works. You're not just gonna give a careless teenager the keys to your brand new car if they're constantly dinging the hallway on their way up, clunking, and they're always crashing their bicycle, and they never pick up their room, and they're kind of scatterbrained, right? You're gonna, your hand's going to be shaking holding the keys, okay? Jesus is saying something similar here, all right? There's a test part, and he follows it up with the passage we were just in. 
No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, wouldn't you put something, like if you're thinking the opposite of God, I'm going to go with Satan for 500, Alex. Like, you know, I'm going to pick something that's not money. (laughs) But again, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You're going to serve something, Jesus is saying. It's a trademark issue. That's what he's talking about here. When you see people who are generous and free and they trust God and they freely share, like we read about in the book of Acts and we encounter in our own lives, you look at that person and you're like, they're with Jesus. You know, you can just tell because of how they roll with money. And that's what he's saying. There's this quality and you can tell, all right? So if all of this is the case and you and I are managers how's the management coming along how's the management coming along like if if you were to have an outside group come in and kind of do an assessment would you like be cringing at the results or would you be like oh this is gonna this is gonna be okay we're gonna be okay or would there be kind of some like what would what would take place what would go down well I do have some advice right as with all things in the Bible they really do apply to where you and I live I don't want you to be like Uncle Sam that's just doing continuing resolutions all the time with no real plan. No real plan. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Right. The next time you have a forum with one of your elected officials, remember that. Say that to them, okay? So what can you and I do in light of this passage? If we're managers, if we're oikonomos, what can we do? Well, first and foremost, you should conduct a congressional hearing on your money and your stuff. Like, call in your checking account statement. Call in your credit card statement. Spread them out on a table and do these things. Read them. Don't just skim them, right? (laughs) Read them. See what's actually on them. See where the money has actually gone when it said, bye-bye, 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 okay? Uh, Study them. That means look over them. Ask questions. If you're married... Chances are what's going to happen is one of you is going to say to the other, hey, hun, what's this 270 Amcor chart? Like, what is that? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Right? Okay, so (laughs) those things might happen, right? But you want to bring things into the light. So investigate. That's the first step. Investigate your finances. And then secondly, start planning. And you can do that with big major categories like, housing, food, entertainment, right, transportation. Here's what I'm going to do with this money. Give, save. There's going to be bigger categories. So start to chart out in big chunks. Here's what I want to do. If you're a teenager, if you're a student, here's how this applies to you. There's no such thing as a money tree. Like, if you, there are things that you want, right? Isn't it hard to wait around for birthday and Christmas? Like, those things happen once a year. I mean, wouldn't it be better if you could have a birthday every month? Then you wouldn't have to wait so long to get stuff. Another way to get stuff is to, like, work, mow lawns. Like, there are things that you can do. I have some schemers in my family from time to time. 
Uh, Maddie's always constantly looking for little things. For the longest time, her only source of revenue was what she found on the ground. And I remember when she was like five years old, I counted all the money she had found on the ground. And do you know it was like $21? I know. She says, Dad, if you're just looking at the ground, you can find all sorts of treasures. (laughs) So now I'm always like, (laughs) okay, where's my treasure? Okay, but she'll, she'll negotiate. Well, if I pick up sticks, how much will it pay me? Well, if I do this, how much will you pay me? So she's constantly kind of scheming about. So again, if you're a student, you could develop a plan for some of the things that you want that even goes beyond just birthday and Christmas. You could be shrewd in that sense, okay? So step one, investigate and plan. This means knowing where your money's going and making some big decisions about where it's going so that it's going where you want it to go. Um, And at the back table, I've got these for you. You can do them electronically, but I've made little half sheets. You can write down and track your expenses as it says goodbye, and you can go, oh, that's where it went. I hope it had fun, okay? And so the second step is make a decision to become a good steward. Make a decision to become a good steward. One of the biggest things that you could do actually in your life is recognize that the money and stuff that you have isn't yours anyway. I mean, come on, really. 150 years from now, someone else is going to be living in that house. They're going to rip out all the shrubberies you put in. They're going to change the kitchen, right? It's not yours. You only have it temporarily. Um, And so in the back, you can... I, I remember going to Charlotte Lacey's house uh, and seeing this proudly uh, displayed on her fridge. And, and she's great about it. Talk about being a good steward. Here she is on the mission field now, and she has purposely worked so that her living expenses are something like $1,400 a month. I mean, talk about, right? <laughs> she has leveraged and worked and been frugal and everything else, but she, get, she got for the longest time. It's not mine anyway. It's only passing through my hands, so... And this is a quick claim deed. A quick claim deed is when you basically fill out something. Let's say you had a house. You could fill this out and say, yep, not mine anymore. It's yours. And the bearer of that would, would now own your house. So you could actually fill out a clip, quick claim deed on your stuff and basically say to God, you know what? Not mine. I'm just a manager. And again, I've got those in the back if you want them. But in becoming a good steward... If you start, your mindset shifts a little bit and you realize, you know, this isn't my money, it opens up a bunch of things. One, it's not your money. Like, money problems become God problems. The other thing about it is that the intentionality dials up. All of a sudden, you're like, you know what? So I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Your church has a finance team. They're constantly looking for ways. How How can we be better stewards of what money's coming in? Well, uh, we're going to do something that you're probably not going to get to do. We're telling Time Warner, bye-bye. Because we pay $140 a month as a church for like internet and phone. It's ridiculous. We're going to go back to Windstream and only pay $75 a month. We're going to cut that bill basically in half. And that's like a good steward thing, right? Um, your local government, if you live in Nicholasville, I don't know if you know this, but in 2008, Nicholasville was going to build a new city hall. It was going to cost several million dollars. And then the big recession hit. And the mayor at the time and the city commissioners at the time all got together and they were like, we can't do this. We, we can't take on this kind of debt in a, in a 
economic freefall. And they had legitimate reason to. Like, if you had seen City Hall back then, it was ugly. It was like 1972 ugly. Just go down, go try and find Nicholasville City Hall. I run into people all the time that are like, we have a City Hall? Yes, you probably have just driven past it because it's so ugly and you never even noticed, okay? And so they had real, you know, legit reasons uh, to build something new and they chose not to. And you know what else they did? They called all the department heads in and they all sat down and they said, so things are going to get really bad and tax revenue is going to shrink. And we, we have people who work for the city who need that money to pay their bills. So what can we do that will mean that we don't have to let anyone go? How can we tighten our belts? How can we? And so you had EMS coming, stepping in and saying, well, you know, we go to this conference every year and we learn great things that we put into practice, but we don't have to go oh, there's $2,500 right there, and they started, do you know the phrase that they used when they went through that process? They actually, I heard them say out of their mouths, we want to be good stewards of the people of Nicholasville's money. That's, you know, ding. Now, here's the thing about you and me. We're actually gonna come face to face with Jesus at one point, right? Jesus is coming back. He will take his place as rightful king of everything. And we're going to have, right? I want you to not feel like that moment is awkward, right? I don't want, <laughs> I don't want you to be doing the whole, oh, like 99% of everything I got my whole life like went for me. Ooh. Um, hey, oh, hey, Jesus, is that a squirrel? <laughs> you know, that's not going to work, right? So I want you to be positioned to where when you're seeing Jesus face to face, if anything, the only regret you have is I wish I could have done more. Man, for you, I would have moved the moon. I wish I could have done more. And to hear from Jesus, hey, good job, manager. Good job. <laughs>